This is the Hypotheticals Podcast Season 2. Uh, I'm Andy. And I'm Adriano. And this week's episode is sponsored by the new craze that's sweeping the nation. It's brooms. Not so bad yourself? Not bad. Although, I was wondering, if humans had evolved from fish instead of primates, um, Mm. how would our society be different? Oh, this keeps me up at night as well, so I'm glad you're finally (laughs) raising the subject. With all Uh, that's going on, this is what's occupying my mind. Oh my god, there has never been a more pertinent time to ask this question, and so (laughs) I think if we can answer it definitively, then we will truly have delivered a public service. Now, I do have to ask you for a corollary. If humans had evolved from fish, are we talking about um, humans walking around on dry land, but, you know, like with vestigial gills and stuff? Right. Or are we talking about mermaid land? So, in my, yeah, in my head, it is very much mermaid land in that they have, they live underwater, they have gills, but they do have two hands, because let's say your fins evolve into some appendages. Sure. But they still have... A, a tail. We're talking humanoid, like uh, we we look like um like kelpies or I don't know grindelows or whatever from the yeah. Harry Potter universe. Mermaids, but like without the fish. Uh, sorry, without the fish tail, like the fish huff on the bottom. I don't know. I don't, yeah, you'd would have we the tail, need the tail? I think. You think we we would need the tail? Well, my thoughts are, if it's from an evolutionary perspective, a tail is the most efficient way of getting around the sea. You don't see many things with legs. Yeah, that is true. Although I have to say, uh, God, I I'm I'm gonna look it up later. Um, there is a, a word, and I can't remember it, but I love that the word exists. There is a word for the tendency of evolution to produce crabs. <laughs> yeah, this is a real thing. Apparently, it's ha- according to Wikipedia, it's happened on like at least four occasions. And just wow. different, yeah, different branches of the evolutionary tree have converged on crab-like species. Uh, I guess because it's just like a really convenient... Just, there's nothing wrong with a crab. Like, once you've hit that, like an alligator, you know, these species that have remained unchanged for eons, because you just, you hit upon that perfect nexus of, like, instincts and, like, hardy skin, lots of teeth survives in water and out of it. Like, it's just, it's fine. This mm-hmm. this sturdy beast will endure. And I guess that's yeah. a crab as well. Like, you've seen the gif of the crab just tearing off its own arm and handing it to another crab. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, any creature that is able to just do that with a straight face um, knows what it's about. So I, I'm also kind of picturing humans with crab legs or, like, humanoid crabs. Okay. But I'm also thinking most of the more intelligent species are not crabs. I don't think crabs are known for their deductive capabilities maybe they just don't care about like the same things we do though because they're very hard to read you know maybe we're just not going to interpret them i don't know i just cut cut the crab some slack that's all i'm saying they might know more than we know but please carry on okay well my first thoughts if if humans had evolved from fish and we all lived underwater was there's some major things that we would have issues with our society would be incredibly basic because we wouldn't have fire oh yeah quite a key has been quite a key driver of our that evolution. legit didn't occur to me when I was thinking about this, <laughs> and I blame Spongebob, because they've got campfires <laughs> down there. They put the really? idea in my head. Yes, they oh, do. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other thing is that, obviously, you don't have electricity, mm. because you're eels, surrounded though. by an incredibly conductive material. Yeah, but you just tame eels, you know, Flintstone style. Like, whatever you need to power, <laughs> just, just hook up however many eels you need. Well, I was thinking, in terms of lighting... Because obviously you've got, you, you at night, you still need lights, presumably. Mm. You could just get lots of bioluminescent creatures like anglerfish and just kind of hang them from street lamps. See, I was thinking about lighting and I think uh, anglerfish street lamps, incredibly metal, love it. Mm-hmm. But a bit of a problem because you evolve from like, we have all these evolutionary holdovers like, we don't like spiders, right? Or snakes. And my understanding is evolutionary psychology, very speculative. I'm certainly far from an expert, so who knows, is the big sort of parenthetical caveat around this. But I believe that we speculate that we're scared of um, spiders and stuff because they would have been threatening to us when we lived in caves. Like maybe there were more venomous spiders around, not just in Australia, and you had to fear things that crawled out of holes in the cave. And now we're scared of spiders, like in our big Western homes, these tiny little spiders come in from the garden, they're like, hey man, I just want to eat your flies. And we're like, oh god, no. And that's (laughs) silly, right? Mm -hmm. We have these hang-ups because of our history as a species. So you're saying you don't want anglerfish hanging from lampposts? I want them. I crave them. <laughs> but 
alternate universe fish evolved me, right? Light is a thing of like ethereal fascination. Like you see a glimmer of light and, and your hind brain is telling you that I don't know why this I guess they think that it's like sunlight reflecting off a speck of food or something. I don't know what it is. But they're drawn to it, right? And subsequently consumed. That's why the anglerfish thing works. So could you have street lamps at all? Or would each one just be surrounded like would would the perfectly straight laced business fish man with his kelpie briefcase and his kelp tie <laughs> and his important business phone call um, into a shell or whatever. Like, would he be wending his way down the well-lit boulevard, but just, like, drifting gently towards every street lamp and doing a little loop around it? And then, ah, no, 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 got important things to do, okay. And then off we go. And then, ah, but there's a light over there. I've just got... You know what I mean? It'd be distracting. It would be like uh, the the torches in Lord of the Rings, where they're going through the marshes and they see the the torches heading off into the distance and you're not supposed to follow the torches because that way damnation lies. I don't know that reference. From Is that not Rings. Lord of the Rings? Head it on. might be. No, no, you could be right. I do remember marshes with Gollum and stuff, but I don't know. I do, I do know that that does show up in a lot of folklore. There's all these creatures that are supposed to lead you astray by shining yeah, the, lights in the night. the Will-O-The-Wisp and that sort of thing. There we go. So yeah, maybe maybe we wouldn't have, we'd just be like, night time, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, we're out of ease, I'm sorry. Like, and you'd never go below a certain depth or whatever. Like, whatever your eyes could handle. But then beyond that, it's just, it just, it wouldn't make sense to have artificial illumination. It would just make everyone feel weird and hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, people <laughs> just trying to nosh down on street laps the whole time. Yeah, it's just like, I'm sorry, you can't possibly, it would be like us hanging, like, bananas around the place. <laughs> it's not going to serve a function. It's just going to If gonna bananas confuse. were irresistible. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, aren't they? I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, yeah, another thing I was thinking of was actually about food in general, Mm. because there's a lot of things you can't do. Obviously, you don't have fire. So if you (laughs) if you want to cook your food at all, would we want to cook our food? But if we did, we might have to find volcanic vents. Very strong. Hold it up over the vent. Obviously, how how you would arrange that would be quite tricky. Like a marshmallow on a stick. Yeah, yeah, Delicious. Watching, watching your fish melt away. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also, another thing about food is you can't fill containers with liquids, which I think is a thing that we take for granted. Hang on, just... sorry. Is this some physical law that I'm not familiar with? Well, no, if you think about it, right? In in our lovely air-filled realm, you pour your milk into oh, a glass right, and it yes. fills up. If you're you surrounded mean. by liquid... Right, it will just drift out. You'll pour your delightful yeah. wine into your glass and it, you'll have to sniff that bouquet real quick. Yeah, unless you like force it under high pressure in. Mm. And even if you do, it's going to mix in with that salt water. It's not going to... Oh, I think you need to accept just a high level of brine sort of in anything you're consuming. But yeah. I, I, don't think, I don't think fish are swimming around the whole time going like, oh, salty, salty, <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're probably just fine. <laughs> That's, that is true. So I imagine that like whatever your wine equivalent, it's like we don't taste the air as a, you know, as a rule. You don't get like sommeliers and stuff. They're not like carefully pumping like distilled air into a room so they can enjoy their wine in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine you just need really dense wine. You need this like treacle-like beverage that will sit tight in its mug. That's true. That's just made me think. What if like beings on another realm think? God, imagine if you know if you couldn't put your air in a container easily. You know, yeah. if you couldn't put your nitrogen in. What if there's gas everywhere? It just floats about, mixes in freely. What are you gonna do? <gasps> These like vacuum-dwelling creatures <laughs> that are confused by the notion that a gas might want to expand to fill its container. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Why the heck not? Well, look, food raises a lot of interesting questions for me. Because for starters, mm-hmm. you think mermaid society? I'm picturing them like farming kelp. Um, yeah. They're riding seahorses. They've got fish on leashes. <laughs> they're taking them for a walk. All this sort of thing's going on, right? But mm-hmm. there's a lot of problems there. For starters, um, you're not getting any lawn mowing done or whatever because you you don't have a nice flat lawn. You've got like a coral reef or a bunch of rocks or whatever. Like no no landscaping project, no building project is going to be that straightforward. You're not going to be able to like no no petrol driven digger is going to work in the ocean. You're just going to have to deal with the shape that things are more or less, or uh, sort of hack things around with manual tools. 
uh, which means farming's real different because our general approach has been to just bulldoze through all the forests and uh, get things into nice convenient squares, kind of, uh, and then, you know, drive a combine harvester up and down. Can't do that, though. And uh, livestock farming, like, a cow stays on the ground <laughs> you know it's one of the more convenient things about them really? yeah <laughs> i never knew fish have got this exciting third dimension to explore so like you can fence those suckers in but they're just going up which means that the job of like mermaid cowboy mm. or merman cowboy or i don't it's the 21st century be whatever you want to be but it's it's very difficult like herding fish surprisingly tough yeah, this this comes to a, actually a couple of issues I was thinking about because first of all, yeah, there's that three D element because you'd have to you could build your cities in three D because you could there's no gravity limit so you can just be like hey I'm just going to build my house here and it's just going to float here maybe there'll be an anchor <laughs> or I could, I can build like my that. my fish cage here and uh, but yeah you've got to build you know eight sides to it or whatever but also what animals would you domesticate because historically in Europe and Asia we were very lucky in our animals that we had to domesticate but globally the, the number of animals that we have actually been able to domesticate is very low it's like cows chickens pigs maybe oh, llamas right. kind of i gather um, you can't ride a zebra they're no, horse shaped but they're, they're too leery they are and you need certain things in a an original species that allow you to domesticate them so it need, they need to be able to be docile they need to be able to re reproduce regularly and to grow quickly um, and there's actually, and I think there's some other things as well, but it's actually very hard to get all of those in one convenient package. So I was thinking maybe like a sea manatee. Um, oh, yeah, the sea before, cow. Yeah, before we hunted them all to extinction, um, like the giant manatees or something. Yeah, you could just get a load of them. They're kind of like cows. I feel like they wouldn't wander too far. You might need to be nomadic in this scenario. You might. There's a lot of cases where you might need to. And, oh man, manatees are so cute. It makes me sad. But yeah, they'd be absolutely perfect for the purpose. Well, you, well, you could just milk your manatees. You'd have to drink it straight uh, <laughs> into your mouth. From or, the source, yeah. <laughs> or just pump it in at high pressure. But, um... <laughs> Maybe, but, you, know, I mean, you don't have to kill them. No, I gather the... Uh, I'm going to get this wrong because I learned it when I was like 16, but I think um, the Maasai tribe in Africa or something, there's definitely at least one tribe whose whole deal is that they are nomadic, they herd cows, and their diet consists pretty much exclusively of cow blood mixed with oh, cow yeah. milk, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, because all there is uh, in this like searing hot baked landscape is this poor quality grass and you've got to roam around to find the grass because the cows just demolish it. You keep your cow alive, the cow keeps you alive. Uh, you know, you're not going to slaughter and eat it because that cow is your family's livelihood. So you just yeah. skim off some blood, skim off some milk and mm -hmm. uh, get by. Yeah, do that with manatees. The other one I was thinking of, though, is um, how would you... Because obviously on land we have horses and horses were a massive deal because they were not only... Well, they, they weren't a domesticated animal for food. They were a domesticated animal for transport. Beast of burden. Yeah. Could you find like a sailfish which can travel like 40 kilometers an hour and domesticate it? Probably well, what's not. What's wrong with the seahorse? I feel like this is a softball. Like there's a direct analog. That is the worst thing you could possibly do. <laughs> they travel at like two miles an hour. <laughs> that is true. They just do that cute little like tail undulation. They're not going anywhere. They get blown away by mild sea currents. They're <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> it's true. They've got to like latch onto stuff. They are adorable, but yes, useless. It's true. You'd look so stately, like uh, sitting side saddle, presumably, because you've got a tail, uh, on your seahorse with the reins and just going absolutely nowhere. Just yeah. drifting vaguely in a circle. Meanwhile, your friends have lassoed sailfish and are shooting off into the distance. Yeah, but you know, you'd look cooler, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but fish, uh, the thing is, if we evolved from fish, I wonder about the diet. I think the manatees are perfect because would we be okay with eating fish? Because as mm. humans, we're not typically okay with eating monkeys or apes. They're sort of too close to home, you know? People eat the non-human-like animals. But in the ocean, are the rules different? Because many fish even consume members of their own species. It's like a, mm. if you're big enough, you will eat. And if you're not, you will be eaten. Then those are the laws of the jungle. So would we be chill with that? Would cannibalism be chill? Or would we just, we'd be very civilised, but you'd be just a bit more intimidated by anybody larger than you? I'm sorry, you're a pescatarian? <laughs> you could be locked up for that. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably think of it a little bit differently. Actually, that that's 
brings to mind though you know big fish eat little fish as you mentioned fish reproduction mostly involves producing thousands and thousands of tiny offspring and like one percent maybe 0.1 percent survive to adulthood and that presumably would be the way that it worked unless we evolved from sharks who produce fewer but if that was our society like there wouldn't be the same value on life i don't think I've got a lot of thoughts about this, actually. Um, see, I'm also kind of... I know I know you want to talk about Mermaid Land, but I, I kind of like the idea of, like, we emerged from the oceans at some point, mm-hmm. but we didn't go on this, like, really roundabout route via, like, small mammals and then apes and humans, and so, like, we just fish to human as quickly as possible. So we've still got some scales and some webbing and some gills going, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. fish people on land. Because, yeah, you're still spawning eggs, like, uh, <laughs> birth, um, Presumably is sort of like pools a... of water, like amphibians. Yeah, birthing pools, I mean, like, uh, giving birth in water is, uh, like a, I don't know if it's a modern trend, but I think it's increasing in popularity, that would just be the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd have your spawning pool, and it would be fire and forget, basically. It'd be like, oh, I've got all these eggs, ah, oh, okay, there they go. Um, that's my eggs in the communal pool, and I'm done, you know what, I feel no, <laughs> just like, dust off the hands go about your day um, because you feel no sort of like maternal instinct or paternal um, because there's that detachment like whereas an ape is used to having a child cling to its back for the first months or years of its life carefully learning from it every detail of apehood fish are just like nah all right you're on your own guys 99 percent of you will be eaten and the (laughs) remaining ones may survive i don't really care so we need to figure out like communal baby raising we already have communal child raising like schools are a you know the government runs a system that takes all your kids you know from a tender age and is like you know what we're going to look after these like a decent chunk of the time we don't have to do that they'll do that but more presumably yeah presumably population growth out of control like oh yeah god we figured out a way to look after all of these thousand kids for each person Oh, what are we going to do? We've got a value <laughs> on all of these lives. We can't do this. You need a strong economy or, you know, just alter those morals a little bit. Maybe you leave them in the pool a little bit longer. Uh, you've got like a quota. You just come back when there's only a hundred left. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or you just, you just pick a few at the start. You're the chosen ones. Off we go. <laughs> Imagine the regret though, because like at least if you, you're taking on a lot of responsibility there, like when the Spartans took their infant to the, you know, the wolf infested woods or whatever, to see if the gods would bless it. Yeah, the cliff edge. Yeah, cliff edge. Is that what they did? No, they threw them off cliffs. It, if they were, if they weren't very well, it wasn't nice. <laughs> oh, I see. I thought they they had a thing where like they if they didn't know if they were good enough or not, so they left them out overnight, and then if when they came back they were alive, it was like ah oh, yes, this strong child, I shall raise it. Okay, that could be another society. You're telling me they made a determination. Okay, listen, maybe I made this up, but I like that <laughs> in that case, it's not you deciding like which of your kids gets to live. It's like, it's up to the gods or like, oh, you know, this one was destined, this one was stronger, you know, whatever. If at the beginning you're like, yeah, we'll take 13, 27 and uh, 76 through 159. These are going to be our chosen ones. And the rest, I don't know, just, you know, um, put them in the fast food industry. Um that involves you, you, you'd have so many regrets because <laughs> one of them would turn out like a bit rubbish or like one of them would be dealing drugs by the time you were six. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, uh, why didn't I choose number 45 instead? <laughs> right? Whereas if you let nature run its course a little bit, then at least you can put the blame on something else. It's God. like, you know, I, well, we couldn't have kept any of the weak ones. I mean, you know, we did, we did the best we could. This was the best. This was the cream of the crop. I'm sorry. This is just what we got. Yeah. These are the ones which ate their siblings. Yeah. As, listen, speaking of someone who devoured their own sibling in the womb, I think it's the best way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was nearly a twin. Um, Were you actually? Was... Yeah. No, for real. And my mum's a twin. So uh, it tends to run in families. But you don't have any like extra fingers or anything. I never noticed them if you did. <laughs> so many, but not where you'd expect. <laughs> That's the twist. My secret fingers. <laughs> anyway, let's get oh, off this. God. But the point is, people with, uh, you know, gills and scales and stuff. So ideals beauty, obviously, very different. And also, you'd have to moisturize a lot. You'd probably be misting yourself the whole time, living in a really slimy sort of wet house just trying to maintain the, the you know those damp eyes and everything and uh also anybody choking like he needs like uh what's it not 
uh, like respiratory support, emergency resuscitation. Mm-hmm. It probably involved just like dunking their head in a bucket of water. Or just like, forcefully get those over and over. Gills covered. Yeah, just waterboard them until they feel better. <laughs> if someone from our society like happens to just pass by into this dimension, like they're drowning that person. It's like he's trying to save his life. <laughs> Give him some room. <laughs> Well, they'd feel exactly the same way about us. They'd be like, my God, sunbathing. These people have clearly given up on life. <laughs> like, this is just, this is a suicide pact. Quick, somebody moisten them. But I tell you what, they'd have some interesting instincts. Because, for example, they'd probably have a real fascination for um, synchronized dancing. Um, because those, like, those instincts to form a shoal and all move in the same direction. Oh, yeah. You know, like, picture a crowded intersection or something, like, where there's a signal and then everyone starts moving in the same direction. Like, even if you were supposed to be walking that way, <laughs> that's it. You join the herd now. <laughs> like, we've got somewhere to go and you must come with. Do not break the shoal. Oh, that'd be so cool. Everyone's just sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot there, I think. Yeah, I mean, a lot about politics, there's some analogies there. So if you can make an analogy with this, um, we're going back to underwater now, but you Mm -hmm. mentioned... uh, Sorry, I was just going back underwater. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned being nomadic, like Mm -hmm. roaming uh, sort of sea vent to sea vent or whatever. And I've got two thoughts. The first is um, crab bucket, and the second is whale carcass. Okay. So do do you know about crab buckets? Crab buckets, what I think I know is probably from Terry Pratchett, which is yeah, crabs trying boy. to climb out of buckets, the other crabs pull them back down. That's right. And it's a terrifying fact, and I don't understand it. Uh, crabs, they know more than they're letting on. So, yeah, they might be the ideal livestock, because you just dig a pit, put a bunch of crabs in there. Oh, that's true. I was thinking of, yeah, of of things which could swim but obviously yeah any sort of crustacean that can't swim right it's all gonna be shrimps and stuff good, yeah everyone's gonna be on lobster we talk yeah. about lobster as though it's like a delicacy but really they're It'll gonna be, be backwards yeah human people will be eating caviar they'll be like ah, what <laughs> why <laughs> although oddly fans of shark fin soup so you know you win some you lose some um but secondly whale carcass uh i think it's on like um blue planet or something one of the old documentaries uh, you know about these colonies that form around whale carcasses? Right, because they drift down to the bottom of the ocean and then yeah. all the stuff descends. Yeah, Exactly, where it's all dark and like there's nothing to subsist on. There's no photosynthesis going on, so there's no plant life. So what do you eat? What you eat is the whale carcass. When it drifts down, it's just a oh. huge mountain of food. And all these <laughs> little scuttling crabs and things will arrive from miles around. They smell it and consume it and then just disappear as if they oh, were never so you there. Have, like actual wars between like different tribes or societies over like a whale carcass yeah maybe we'd be a lot smaller and you just you know a whale comes down and that's okay Whew, your family's fine like this generation sorted your kids will have to venture out and find a new carcass but this one's yours fight off the interlopers yeah god that's grim <laughs> well you know it's the law of the jungle the ocean whatever it's it's grim down there but again thinking of food and talking about lobster being rare thinking about if they were all underwater if you, they could almost fish obviously not fishing but for seabirds because obviously things like gannets they come down yes. they, they're on the top of the the ocean there so you could send up hunting parties and they could grab birds and pull them down i like that i like that a lot and you could do it with lures as well because they see the fish below the surface of the water they dive and then you just grab them yeah yeah so yeah literally you, you have a fishing rod <laughs> just catching birds that's awesome I'm picturing uh, mermaids strapped to like humpback whales, and as they come up and do that, uh, what is it? They crest, they break, they uh, breach, breach. There we go. Yeah, so they do that that graceful dive, and just like six <laughs> burly mermaid mans strapped to the side, all just like hurling nets and spears, and yeah. just desperately trying to bring down some birds with them. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but similarly, I mean, if you want to take it a step further. Let's say we're all still underwater at this point. If you want to head out onto land, you're essentially like an astronaut because you're heading out into inhospitable terrain. Yes. um, So presumably you'd have some sort of suit filled with water. Yeah, like an old-fashioned diving suit, right? Like with a bell helmet sort of thing, but just full of water. Yeah, maybe with an oxygen tank if you somehow manage to get oxygen out of water in your basic society. Anyway, don't matter about that. But if you head out (laughs) onto land to hunt, land animals think that would be the ultimate profession in this society 
like the ultimate coolest thing you can do and you bring back like a an elephant and you drag it down under the sea and you're like oh. look what i've brought back from the the mysterious above land the dry lands yeah, yeah. It's true, like your your whale carcass addicted brethren would be so impressed by this exotic <laughs> flavour. It's a lot more impressive than fishing when you think about it. We've been eating this whale for the past 50 years. This is a lot fresher. <laughs> yeah, incredible. <laughs> I also think we'd end up... Um, <laughs> you know the way we're polluting the ocean, something absolutely awful? Mm-hmm. They pollute the land, presumably, right? You can just, like, provided you get around to manufacturing plastic or whatever, just toss that trash up on the land. Just yeah. Yeah, uh, but they'd be endlessly frustrated by the fact that it will eventually just wash back in. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be even worse. worse for them, to the point yeah. where it just blocks out the sun because it's just covered <laughs> the entire ocean. You know what, guys? We done goofed. <laughs> yeah. We messed up real bad. They were just huddled in the last remaining, like, a hole in the ozone layer, but beneficial, just a small gap in the plastic layer. God. Uh. <laughs> the last thing I did want to mention was clothes. Because, obviously, you don't have the same materials. I guess you could make stuff out of kelp. Um, you don't wouldn't have trousers because you've got a fishtail. But would you even have clothes? Because, obviously, a lot of fish don't need clothes. I mean, most fish, Ooh. I would even say. All fish. Um, <laughs> well, most mammals don't either, though, arguably. Yeah, but I think... That is true, actually. I guess if you wanted to spread into other kind of climates, you would need to invent clothes, because that's kind of what we did. Yeah, kind of our thing as humans, right? Like, we started off in temperate regions, and then Mm. we adapted. And it's also like a status symbol, I guess. So maybe you would have kelp clothes as status symbols, but if you're exploring, let's say, the Arctic, you literally have to hunt down a seal and, like, cut the blubber off and oh, yeah. wear it Ooh. because conventional clothes like we wear would not keep in heat at all it's not gonna help is it no so you, you literally coat would need, yourself in that fat you'd need lard you'd need you know like just fat just covered yeah you'd just be in like a, one of those inflatable sumo suits but just filled with like whale blubber yeah just just, just wearing a seal yeah yeah it's true essentially actually i wonder whether we could develop some kind of uh <laughs> Some kind of symbiotic relationship. I don't know. Like, can you get hermit crabs that live inside blubbery creatures somehow? <laughs> I'm picturing a whale that just like ferries people. I don't know. I don't know what's in it for the whale. I guess I guess there's currently there's the fish which is not it's not symbiotic. The fish that just um kind of piggyback, they stick on the underside of large sharks and whales, just ride along. Yes. You could do something like that, guys. but you just kind of you just live in the whale's mouth. You just pop in and, you know, yeah. keep warm that way. Like an alligator carrying around its young in its mouth because it doesn't have anything else. And hey, there's space in here and I'll just be careful, I guess. You know, <laughs> like that image. It'll be like that. But yeah, just a big whale mouth full of mermaids in there. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, whales are very intelligent. So I'm sure you could you could strike an arrangement. You could have some sort of thing where if it allows you to ride in there, then you bring it um, like extra fish or whatever. The dopest krill. This would be the best dog ever. Like, we wouldn't have dogs, we'd have whales. They'd be amazing. They'd come when sung to. They'd be... I mean, Clifford the Big Red Dog is like... (laughs) To be fair, he was mainly uh, portrayed as being inconvenient, but I think Mm. maybe just because society wasn't involved to handle him. You know, if you can't handle him at his uh, biggest and reddest, then you don't deserve (laughs) him at his... I don't know. And the thing is, in the ocean, you've got got tons of space. You've got you know, oceans of space. Like, you can have a whale. <laughs> yeah, there's no problem. It's not like your backyard's too small. And I'm just imagining the amazing, like, with dog whistles now, which are incredibly high-pitched, whale whistles would be oh. the size of enormous didgeridoos. And they'd yes. be so low that you could, you just feel it as vibrations. And it would be like the, the horn that you blow to summon a Norse god, you know, yeah. for Ragnarok. If you're under incredible. attack from a neighbouring tribe and they haven't managed to domesticate whales, but you've got a whale and you summon it, imagine how amazing that's going to be. Instant victory. That's like throwing down a Pokemon, but like an impressive Pokemon, <laughs> like a yeah. Waylord, not yeah, like a yeah. Ratata. <laughs> They'd be like, what the hell? What is this god you've summoned? And it comes in and like, maybe they've domesticated a giant squid, also very intelligent, and they fight like a sperm whale and a giant squid. Oh, Yes. Now, the thing is, the ocean is full of some really scary stuff. I wonder whether humanoid-type creatures would end up the dominant species, or whether they would just end up, like, the, the cult, you know, cultist supplicants to, like, the great squid lord, 
know? Like, even yeah. if we can't find Cthulhu, there's going to be something down there equally terrifying and mm-hmm. powerful and malevolent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all of our gods would be, I reckon, would be squid and whale-based. Yeah. Very impressive creatures. And also, octopuses, like, they seem prophetic to me. Well, yeah, like the octopus that predicted the uh, football World Cup results that one time. I wasn't even thinking of that, but yeah, that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) What better use for the powers of prophecy? (laughs) I'm picturing, um, like, the oracles of Delphi, but interpreting instead of, like, the oils in a scrying pool or whatever, they're trying to figure out what the colour changes on, like, a squid look, you know, what, Mm. what they mean. Like, have you seen an octopus, like, change into a lionfish and then go black? and change into, like, a manta ray, and then change into the sand, and that, you know, they're terrifying. They can do whatever they want. They would be the sort of, um, the elves of this realm, I think. The sort of mystical beings, the fairies. Like, you never know where they're going to come from, they just appear and disappear. Don't follow one into the woods, children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe octopuses, they'd be good. Maybe they'd be more like cats, I think. Maybe, yeah. Oh my god, I'd much rather have an octopus than a cat. Everyone would, god. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Andy, I've been enjoying some televisual entertainment, mm-hmm. and uh, I've only seen one episode of this particular show. Are, are you familiar with the Oeuvre Doomsday Preppers? Ooh, I'm uh, I'm vaguely familiar, but I would not claim to have ever watched it or to be an expert. You, you want to take a little guess as to what it's about? Well, I, I think it's about people who are preparing for an apocalypse of some kind and just kind of going around their houses a bit like um, Show Us Your Crib or whatever that show is. Uh, yeah, and we just kind of look at how crazy they are. Is that it? Ding, ding, ding. That's yeah. exactly it. <laughs> and to be fair, I believe it's done by the National Geographic. So uh, they very carefully don't say anything about these people being crazy. Um, right. It's they just, just it's very it deadpan strongly. documentary style. They don't need to make any implications whatsoever, <laughs> honestly. Like, it just, you just read these people at face value and form your own conclusions because it's just, it's, it's kind of a treat. Um, actually, my favorite part is that they, they, you know, they go around, they do, I don't know, two, three per episode. Um, and, and they'll have different themes because they've each one of them identified the thing that's going to get us. Right, um, okay. Just one per per episode. No, uh, one per family, and then you right. see two or three families per episode. Mm-hmm. But they've always figured out the thing, uh, which I think is really interesting, because if I was going to prep for Doomsday, I figure I'd just be kind of like hedging my bets. Like, I think something's going down, but I'm not sure. It could be this, it could be that. I'm just going to cover the basics. Yeah, you'd want a broad spectrum approach. So like, right? yeah, you've got your bunker, but you can adapt it or whatever. Precisely, adaptability. Now, to be fair, they, they were covering the bases and they were adaptable anyway, but they were driven by this conviction that, no, no, they tell us this uh, the sea level isn't going to rise this much in this area for another 150 years, but we're pretty sure next five years so we moved 500 miles inland and that's where we're building our base in the middle of the desert sea can't get us here or um there's uh there's three nuclear power plants within a 90 mile radius of me and uh there is a hundred percent going to be a terrorist attack that will strike these power plants and the fallout will cover this area and you know they figured out the thing and they've all got different things uh which is also interesting because they form communities of preppers uh, prepping for different reasons, but I guess prepping in similar ways, and they're just happy to be so, so prepping they're not, together. They're not too precious about it. They're not like, oh, I'm, I'm prepping for that thing. I was prepping for this <laughs> first. What? No, find another thing to prep for. I want another show now. I, I, I want Precious Preppers. Um, <laughs> a separate show about the communities. Yeah. No, I, I, that's not a show I watch, unfortunately. Um, so what I, yeah, what I saw is just they take you around the house, they explain to you like what they're prepping for, why, how they're doing it, what different scenarios. A lot of them have like training drills or they all have like a plan. They're all in the process. None of them are like done. Um, and then they get an evaluation at the end. There's some panel of experts from like, I don't know, Preppers Magazine or something. <laughs> and they, yeah, they evaluate them out various categories. So like, okay, food, water, uh, out of 20 marks each or something. And then they get their overall score and how long wow. they reckon they would survive. And are they always terrible? Honestly, no. They were all, uh, let's, I don't know, like 60, 65% sort of type scores so there was always like area for improvement and some of them took it on the chin like yep no we hear what you're saying 
we agree some of those are weak points. We're still working on it. We're gonna we're gonna impress you. Like, you know, come back in a year and you'll see sort of thing. And some of them are like, well, agree to disagree. We're gonna live forever. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, what fascinated me was what aren't they preparing for? Right. Okay. Be- because these guys, they were stockpiling food. They were stockpiling fresh water. They'd moved away from the sea. They typically about 50-50% um, gun nut ratio, uh-huh. I would say. This was all in the States, I should add. Um, and not all of them, but yeah, as I say, 50% had decided that the way to go was to get very, very well armed and do a bunch of drills. And there was a lot of gung-ho just blowing things up because, you know, who wants to dig a cellar when you can use dynamite? <laughs> and uh, and you got to do your target practice with your shotgun and all the rest of it um, because you've got to be ready because, you know, people are going to panic. They're going to be like animals. They're going to come after our resources and you've got to protect what's yours. So they've got their guns, their food, their water, maybe their medicine, um, a lot of tins and things, obviously. Uh, maybe they've even figured out solar power, not necessarily. But that was kind of it. Well, presumably that... The, the ones which prepared for moving inland to escape the sea did not prepare for drought. No, well, in fact, they'd already moved to the desert. So they weren't ready to move when the sea started rising. They were like, right. it's going to happen. May as well get ahead of the rush. Let's go live in the <laughs> desert. And they took lessons. We, we watched a uh, rattlesnake milking expert right. um, come and show them how to hunt kill, butcher, and milk a rattlesnake. And then they all had a delicious glass of rattlesnake milk. Uh, they were milking it for venom, so I don't think they did shots of it. Maybe that's in the next episode. I think they were hanging on to the venom so that they could use it for like fencing or like weaponry. Um, but mostly it was about getting that good, good snake meat, because um, there wasn't <laughs> right. much else to eat in the desert. So uh-huh. yeah, they had a bit of a freshwater problem. I think they had like one freshwater pit sort of, you know, watering hole, and if that dried up, they'd be in trouble... So, yeah, drought was an issue. But yeah, what aren't they thinking of? An idea which came to mind, because I read an article recently about, um, obviously, plastic is a massive issue, and so scientists are finding uh, bacteria and fungi that can break down plastic into its component molecules, which is great for um, recycling plastic, which is otherwise difficult to recycle. But obviously, a scenario could be, what if that bacteria gets out into the world and it colonizes everywhere and starts degrading plastic in our everyday lives that we want to to use oh that's awesome so (laughs) sorry i really like that (laughs) so you're sitting in your in your house which i mean you know there's a hell of a lot of plastic in everything and suddenly it starts dissolving around you like only the metal things survive but any plastic components so like i'm looking at my laptop right now all the keys Mm -hmm. disappear all the buttons for the keys so i'm just just left with a shell yeah yeah your medical equipment you're gonna be in trouble yeah like mris anything and if they mutate and start going after like different types of plastic like maybe the pvc that your like window frames are made of you, you wake up to the crash of glass and it's just, ah, they've been at the windows. It's like termites. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and you, do, like you just have lot. to sort of seal off these areas in like concrete or whatever where it's got in. It's like impossible mm-hmm. to eradicate because... Like a combination of ants and black mold. Like once it's in, you just got to kind of, yeah, isolate. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, also I have the thought, um, what if plants become sentient? Nobody's ready for that. <laughs> right okay so... <laughs> day of the triffid style yeah day of the triffid style yeah they were ready for like for people being the primary enemy but also for having to hunt maybe you know snakes are dangerous uh maybe society breaks down you see the return of like bears and wolves in your neighborhood but uh, nobody was ready for the plants and i'm telling you there's like, apart from the desert guys maybe they were fine although your cactuses very dangerous type of plant <laughs> um yeah a plant-based apocalypse definitely problematic yeah and i think not even like they don't have to be sentient if you just have an incredibly strong and transmissible weed um a bit like japanese knotweed that just gets everywhere then like what would we do Ooh, i i don't know japanese knotweed but i like that just an, an indomitable creeper yeah because japanese knotweed is kind of getting there already it's, it's this plant where you can literally like you burn it but it just keeps coming back like once it's in it's so difficult to get rid of you literally need to dig out the earth and get it all all of its roots 100% to incinerate her and destroy it all otherwise it will just keep coming back and it like grows into foundations and it breaks everything but if you have like a souped up wow. Japanese knotweed and it just you know your bunker that you're sitting in high and dry 
presumably because you ran away from the sea, um, suddenly just crumbles <laughs> around you and you're not ready. And all your, you know, all your carefully laid plans just, you know, come to now. I am a big fan of that because I particularly like that the, the gung-ho guys, to me, the, the couple who'd moved from Florida to the desert, um, they were quite elderly and they were just kind of like, yeah, this is our retirement plan, basically. We just, you know, we want to survive our retirement. We're playing it safe sort of thing. So they were just chilling. They were by themselves. They were learning to survive in the desert. But some of the others were so gung-ho. Like, they were ready to shoot people down like zombies, you know, Jesus. when the time came and people started. They didn't say this, but they had a lot of guns and they were doing drills about intruders and they were monitoring the perimeter. Like, they'd clearly watched a lot of zombie flicks and they were just ready for that moment when hordes of people would come at them. Yeah. Uh, and they were ready to mow them down. So they're ready to be in an action film, you know, to like finally live that dream. And so an apocalypse where it's just like, Oh, God. Okay, good morning. Uh, yeah, fine. Plants made it into my bedroom again. Bloody weeds. <laughs> and they just got to get up and start digging up the weeds like all day and then just tired and sweaty. They, they, they have their meal of weeds cooked on a weed <laughs> fire and then they go to bed knowing that next day is just going to be more weeds and that's just it for the rest of their life. They just got to stay ahead of it. It's just an eternity of ultra intense gardening. Just horrible I gardening that. That, that no one wants to do. And they've got all these guns <laughs> sitting around. The, the plants have grown around the guns and into the, all the levers, so they're all yes. broken. They tried the shotguns, and it just it wasn't helping. <laughs> they yeah, just now had you the just machine got that. gun fired at the floor. <laughs> oh, it's not working. <laughs> oh, God, no! Ah, it keeps coming. Yeah, and now it's all just, like, grown over and just silent. And just, just in, in any other context, it would be, like, bucolic. There's, like, birds twittering, the dappled play of sunlight on, like, these instruments of death. And they've just been gently enfolded in these leaves. And the symbol of life has just grown around them. And then just, like, this really grumpy guy in a white beard. Just, blah, 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 blah. I wish yeah. I could this oh. with guns. Because I was thinking they're quite ugly weeds, but if they were like really beautiful and there were lots of different varieties, it's essentially like a return to the Garden of Eden, sort of. It's like God is bringing oh. back Eden to Earth, and they're like, damn apocalypse. <laughs> These it's plants true. are invading my land. <laughs> yeah, like the opposite of Noah's flood. It's like yeah. his bounty is loose upon the world. Like finally we're being reclaimed by paradise. And they're just like, no, no. None of my land. Shotgun, shotgun. <laughs> yeah, this is my land and it will remain arid and featureless. <laughs> you keep your heaven flowers over that side of the fence. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I had some more basic ideas that just involved the fact that like they might be ready for drought and they might be ready for the sea level rising. Um, but they're not ready for drastic temperature change. Like they're ready for the effects of climate change, maybe. Uh -huh. um, I think one lot were ready for like a series of intense tornadoes that they were certain was going to be unleashed as a result of climate change. So it was all about digging out bunkers to live in. Mm -hmm. But uh, what if the problem is like we wildly overestimated um how long it would take the sun to like expand and <laughs> engulf the earth right what <laughs> if the process starts now and it just starts slowly getting bigger and it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter and you just gotta try and live as long as you can in this like searing heat right you know? so you may you not want to be yourself. cooped up in your bunker might be too warm in there yeah you want everything like reflective tin foil you want to create the coolest environment you can as cheaply and efficiently as you can you want those hardy plants you want to start training yourself to like <laughs> just stay in a greenhouse like for longer and longer periods so yeah. you're used to that heat you got that constitution train your children <laughs> so they this... evolve <laughs> This is a stupid tangent. I hope you're ready. Okay. Um, you're familiar with Babe the Sheep Pig? I, I, yes, I am. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, you can probably already see where this is going. Obviously. Um, <laughs> that's one of the more popular stories by an author uh, called Dick King Smith. Uh -huh. Excellent name. Yes. And he wrote a bunch of stories about animals, actually. Um, and I remember, God, I think he wrote one called Magnus Power Mouse about, like... <laughs> Uh, these these mice who no it was one of my favorites as a kid these mice who live like in a farmer's house and uh, the farmer puts down poison or whatever I can't remember anyway their son eats uh, like horse steroid pills or something oh I can't God. remember yes yeah, so he becomes like massive and hench he's like bigger than a rat That's anyway amazing. it's it's incredible I can't remember what he, he does but it's great he saves the day but the actual story I'm referencing <laughs> I can't remember the name but it's another farmyard scenario so many of them are. 
And the heroes here, or the heroines, are the chickens. And the villains are this family of foxes who live just beyond the farmer's land, and they come in to prey on the chickens. So it's not a fantastic Mr. Fox scenario in this setting. Foxes, bad. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because you're chickens, you don't want to get at. You don't want your kids getting at. So what do? Everyone's very sad. You know, oh, the chicken council is all in disarray. But one clever mother hen has an incredible idea, and she basically creates the poultry equivalent of the Powerpuff Girls. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So she has, like, they might even be triplets, I'm not sure. She has some daughters, um, and she begins their intensive training, like, day one. She's like, all right, girls, here's what we're going to do. Uh, first off, she teaches them to fly, which I think is pretty remarkable for chickens. For day one as well, that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know if it was that quick, but yeah. She she got, the, like, I think she got the ducks on board to, like, teach them how to fly. I can't remember exactly. Uh, but she they learned to lay eggs in flight. Um, they ate a ton of extra grit to create thicker shells for their eggs. And here's the best part. They got into the uh, greenhouse and trained themselves to spend longer and longer periods in the, you know, just the boiling heat. Um, yeah. A, to become like tough, strong, like super soldiers, but B, to hard boil their eggs. Oh my God. Yes. So now you've How got... How hot is this greenhouse? <laughs> now you've got... Flying chickens with super hard-shelled, hard-boiled eggs, which they are able to lay in flight with deadly pinpoint precision. Wow. And I mean, you can you can guess where the rest of the story. I, I'd like there. to see the doomsday preppers prepare for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so all I'm saying is, get yourself a greenhouse, train yourself some hardy, hardy chickens, yeah. and uh, just follow that same training regimen. You just need to learn to survive, you need your kids to learn to be even stronger than you, you got to resist those temperatures. Or what if it gets super cold? Then you want to get as hairy as possible, <laughs> you know, just get a little of that cream that helps hairy growth, allegedly, and, uh, you know, hunker down, get a lot of cheap furs and blankets. I like the idea that, yeah, there's a really serious... Um doomsday prepper who is so dedicated that they literally become a geneticist just so that they can experiment on themselves to prepare for this like my evolution at the moment is not strong enough is not prepared enough for an eternal atomic winter so i'm going to make damn sure i'm radiation resistant i'm going to be have blubber <laughs> so that like nothing can touch me <laughs> Isn't that the origin for like Green Goblin or something that is straight up supervillain fodder? It does, but, it does no, sound I like, like it. it does, yeah. It does, but I think they were usually going for mundane stuff like, oh, I'll be really strong and then, you know, maybe I, I don't know, like uh, maybe I'll be a crocodile or something. <laughs> but I like the idea that he's very unfocused. Like he keeps getting distracted, like, oh no, what if it's the radiation? I better be part cockroach. Or like, ah, but if it gets really cold, <laughs> I'm going to want that whale blubber and I need to be adapted for an aquatic environment. Should I go amphibious? No, we'll go We'll go full fish, but just on the back half. <laughs> so he just comes out the most confused, yeah. <laughs> like monstrous. Or, yeah. I, or the other scenarios, he does all this and he just ends up as a normal human again. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they it. all balance out, like, I need to be an average for everything. <laughs> God's perfect form <laughs> i like that a lot they're not ready for the fact that we're already ready guys the yeah. power was inside you all along <laughs> it's the moral of the story <laughs> i like that a lot but no, i tell you what the 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 true treasure was the friends we made along the way and what these guys <laughs> are not ready for is a scenario where we actually have to band together instead of splitting up into like small self-sufficient homesteads and tiny communities of preppers uh-huh so the opposite of the current situation <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of a lockdown, absolutely. Yeah. They're they're so ready to go into lockdown. They've they've got their guarded perimeter and their bunkers and their guns to defend it all. They're not ready to, you know, throw open the doors and live communally and uh you know, what if um what if okay, the 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 weirdest idea I had was um I believe there's a there's a Lovecraftian story where um the horrible thing that happens is somebody fades from society, not just in the sense that they go and live in the woods but in the sense of they begin to fade from people's memories. Um, they fade out of old photographs, like written records of them no longer exist. Nobody can remember their name. Yeah, people will have conversations with them and then immediately forget, and then they'll start getting ignored as they walk into rooms, and eventually they just fade entirely and nobody can remember that they were ever even there. Oh. What if that's our new plague somehow? And now you have to constantly reconvene to just remind each other, you know? <laughs> Everyone has to be a witness to your existence God. or it might end. 
Imagine how terrible that would be, though. It would be like living in a world full of bad aspiring actors. Like, look at me! Remember me! Hey, make sure that you remember <laughs> I am the face. most special! <laughs> God, it's true. That'd be super bad. Okay, well, less, less frustrating might be if you just needed to... I don't know, like, we, we've run out of... <laughs> there's no more writing. You're done. Now you've got to maintain an oral history. Uh-huh. Right? There's no more internet, the, the paper's too expensive, you can't make books. So the only way for us to preserve our know-how is for everyone to just meet the whole time, like around the campfire, mm-hmm. and just remind each other of all the important stuff. Come up with good songs to remember, like, how to make a fridge. <laughs> you know? Just incredibly maybe... <laughs> complicated songs. Yeah, but you're going to forget how to make the internal combustion engine. You're going to know that's important. Like, your grandkids are going to be like, Dad, is it true? that used to have like these magical devices that you could ride around in and it was just so much better than like that dog, <laughs> which is the only thing we've got left <laughs> and that moves under its own power. And you'd be like, oh yeah, cars, they were the best. And they were like, how did you make cars? And we were like, I have no idea. Other people knew. We always counted on them. I love the idea of uh, like a sea shanty type uh, instruction manual. Like, screw the bolt, A5K2, tighten, <laughs> tighten, then you're done and on to the wheelbase. <laughs> Screw that. That is exactly what I want. <laughs> yes. And then I want when they eventually reconstitute society and the factories get rebuilt, that's the song they sing as they labour. And they, they have to teach it to the robots eventually when the robots take over again. And you, you split into all these uh, different, again, tribes, but tribes based on what you made, on based on your company. So like you're the Hyundai <laughs> you tribe. Or you'd be a very specific, <laughs> you'd be the Hyundai i10 window tribe. And <laughs> that's how you make like the specific thing. Oh yes, and every six months you have to meet in a specific location, like for the for the special trading event. Like the caravanserais draw in from all across <laughs> these lands, you know, and like ah yes, the the finest crop of windows. Yeah, you you will marvel at what we have for you for you this year, Effendi. Truly, <laughs> <laughs> the finest class. Everyone from the the super tribe of Hyundai all come together and they build a car. <laughs> yeah, it's a be magical amazing. event. <laughs> one car. Yeah, yeah we just did one. it. We've got very limited technology. We can't be affording yeah. to make tons of these. But but that's their new god, so that's fine. <laughs> that's just how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Or or we have to reconvene because of like the bizarre set of viruses that we all contract. And uh, in order to maintain like uh, like the immunity only lasts a certain amount of time after you catch it, you need to be like reinfected with like someone's mild strain, lest oh, you catch like, like um... the deadly wild strains. Yeah, it's like people used to do chickenpox parties where like, hey, I'll get my Did kid infected really? with chickenpox so that they get it when they're young. And so, fantastic because it's less it is less dangerous when you're young. Obviously, don't purposely infect your kid with chickenpox. Like <laughs> too late. Consult a doctor anyway. Um, yeah, but that's what they used to do. But it'd be like that. Yeah, you just all have to meet up so that you get there we go. used to each other's uh, diseases. Yeah, but that all the time because there's like 3,000 diseases and you've got to make sure you've got them all and you've got this like complicated social calendar. Yeah, it's like keep, Just mingle all the time. Yeah, you've got to catch them all. <laughs> You're in trouble if you don't. <laughs> catch them all or else, TM. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone have lupus? Please. Please God, it's just the ad on Craigslist. Like, please, it's like the Mr. Burns. It's the Mr. Burns scenario in The Simpsons where he has all of the known diseases, but they keep each other in check because they're all competing with each other. You need, you need to have all of them so that you're protected. What's he got? He's got like a little plastic door, and then and like imagine this is the door to your body, and imagine these adorable little squishy toys are the various germs. <laughs> this one's lupus, <laughs> <laughs> and here they are, and then he's like pushing them, and like they can't all get through the body door at once; they just get jammed in there. <laughs> we call it the Three Stooges syndrome. <laughs> so what you're saying is, I'm indestructible. Oh God, no! In fact, even a slight breeze could indestructible. <laughs> I love how yes. you remember all of that. <laughs> That was a very formative scene for me growing up. Oh. <laughs> very good. Uh, yeah, that's what we'd be like all the time. Another idea I had was, um, obviously, artificial intelligence is on the rise. And um, mm. at some point it's going to hit us. But in what form? We're not quite sure. But if we, let's say, create uh, a super benevolent... Uh, benevolent? <laughs> benevolent, that's it. No, no. <laughs> a super ben elephant. Continue. <laughs> if, we, if we create a super benevolent uh, artificial intelligence which is uh, immediately becomes incredibly unimaginably intelligent and takes control of the whole world if it then because it wants to look after us if it's directive it's it's need like ours is reproduction this is to look after the human race 
um, there was an, a quite an old um, robotics kind of uh, fiction sci-fi about this kind of scenario where people would just be forced to sit inside their houses on their hands and not be allowed to do anything because this AI was so terrified that something might happen to the people if they went outside because it's a dangerous world. So I don't think these doomsday preppers are prepared for that because they're all about independence. So. They're all about autonomy. And then you've got this thing that's coming into your house and being like, no, you've got to stay here and do this. Yep, sit tight. You moved. You moved. Yep. Don't move. Don't. It's dangerous. I'm going to clear away all of these guns. and like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you hurting yourself with these now, do we? <laughs> Oh, can I just open a can of food? Ah, oh, I'll do that for you. <laughs> yeah, those are sharp, you know. <laughs> I like that. So instead of taking the usual tack of enslaving us because it's figured out the most dangerous thing to humans is humans, um, it's just like, nope, everybody sit tight. We can all get through this together. Just that, 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 that. No, stay, stay. Yes, that's good. Everybody just relax. Yep, trust just in me stay. and everything yep. will be totally fine. Like a like a, an overbearing mum who like, uh, you're you're trying to be intense, like in a basement <laughs> with your buddies, like forming a metal band or whatever. Like, yeah, I'm edgy and I'm dangerous and I'm going to give myself a tattoo with a safety pin. And, and the mum is just like, here we are. I sterilized it for you. Like, mum, <laughs> come on. And I brought you lemonade. <laughs> Yeah. And actually, I've, I've laser printed it into your skin because those things are sharp, you know. <laughs> I made you these nice transfers you could use instead. Look, this one has a heart and it says mum inside. Isn't that cute? <laughs> oh, it's time, for, I... it's time for your daily allotted exercise. Better start running. <laughs> and the whole, the whole room starts going like a treadmill. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you just gotta. <laughs> there we are. Let's get that heart rate up. <laughs> It'd be a psychological apocalypse, yeah, essentially. Yeah. But like, and that's that's the worst place for it to happen as well in like America, where, where they're all of like you know, especially the southern states. But they're all about independence and states' rights, and yeah, everything is libertarians. very individualistic. And ah, oh, it's, it's my rights, and I can do what I like. Hopped up on Wild West ideals and like Hollywood uh, sort of Mad Max star scenarios. Yeah, it'll be problems. Actually, I can see a couple of ways that an AI one could uh, go bad purely from a psychological perspective. I think another one is where. Uh, AIs just outclass us just in every conceivable <laughs> way. Yeah. And we're just kind of just demoralized. Just what's the point <laughs> now? Like they're just better. Like nobody nobody watches the human Olympics anymore because the robots do it better. Like nobody's bothering with any kind of job because it would just be laughable. A machine could do it infinitely better. Like their art is better. We watch their movies. Eventually they just stop even inviting us to the parties. Like we're not in those, you know, those WhatsApp threads, those whatever. We're just, <laughs> well, we're just they're not sending they... messages at millions per second so there's no point yeah it's the equivalent of being like the, the the new guy in the office and everybody's like or at school or whatever everybody's all in their cliques already everybody's got their in jokes and you're like hey did anyone anyone watch the 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 hockey last night and everyone's like hockey yeah is that the is that the one with the hoops yeah like, and everyone's yeah, like zero one zero one zero one zero one 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 yeah but like incredibly fast yeah, yeah. and you're just like yeah hockey sports are great right yeah <laughs> that would be it but like society wide and so eventually the humans just can't even bother hanging out with each other because like everything the machines are doing is better anyway it's like you know <laughs> their parties are better even going to one of their parties because they've invited you out of pity is better than hanging out with other humans because they're that much more rad eventually we just yeah we just can't be bothered or would it be i think it would be more like um because I think a natural human thing is to begrudge people their success. And like when they're obviously so much better at something, a natural emotion is to be like, oh, you know, stupid person being good at things. They're just lucky. <laughs> so I think we just like the whole human race would be like, oh, stupid AI. I don't want to hang out with you anyway. I don't want to watch your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to we, we're going to go live in this hole. Yeah. No, I'm going to rub two sticks together. And, and yeah, we're making fire. And I don't, I don't even care. I didn't want to. No, I don't need, right. don't need your help. It's fine. No, have the time of my life. This is fine. <laughs> this kind like of that. this kind of ties into um, an idea I had, which was uh, a crisis of faith. So, through some mysterious force, everyone loses faith in the things they believe in most fervently. So, this oh. is a problem for a doomsday prepper because their whole life <laughs> is about preparing for a, a cataclysmic event. But if their faith in in that thing is taken away through the cataclysmic event, what mm -hmm. what do they have left? So this is a, an apocalypse of demotivation. Yes. I see, yeah. And, and kind of <laughs> realising that everything you've worked towards is pointless. Yeah, a nihilistic apocalypse, I guess. Yeah, just that's that's it. Yeah, if, if, we, if we somehow, 
some some chemical gets released. Like it turns out our diets have been like too rich in, in vitamin B12. And like one of the little known <laughs> side effects is it erodes the motivation sensors of the brain. And so you just, yeah, gradually, like as you get older and, and they're kids and everyone's just like, yeah. oh, it turns out like that's an effect of um, like mobile games, uh, you know, like the addiction to like the ding, ding, like you got the like, you got the points, you got to the next level, whatever. Like uh, eventually, even once we realize and we stop too late, everybody's just just burned out that uh, yeah <laughs> that circuitry. And it's just like, oh. Or, or more literally as faith in religion, because I don't know if you've seen... Um the Mitchell and Webb sketch, which is about they cut open a watermelon and it just says in the seeds, there is no God. And the like the, the priest comes around and is like, well, I, I, I don't know what to say. It's it's conclusive proof. I It's shaken my whole world. <laughs> Can't argue with that. The melon knows. So something like that happens. And then, but then what, you know, it's like, oh, there is no God. Cool. Uh, I think that would, that would be an apocalypse, actually. It really would because I, I don't. I think a melon you might find a way around, but I'm now picturing like, okay, what would be inc- incontrovertible proof? And I'm picturing literally the second coming, or like even better, like the entire Trinity, like ev- every god uh-huh. of every pantheon manifests simultaneously and is like, hello, yes, yes, we're real, it's us, yes, his miracles, all right, we're all convinced, are we? Jolly good, and then they just all commit suicide simultaneously. Oh. <laughs> like, we're sick of all of you and we're out goodbye (laughs) because then there'd be no way to be like no no but you know the melon doesn't know or like this is the work of the devil or whatever be like oh yeah (laughs) you'd be so hyped up to finally meet them and then it's like oh how how would you make it though that so that people weren't like oh they're gonna come back like jesus came back or whatever they're like thank god they can do what they want how would you make it so it's like no we're gone now Bye. <laughs> like... I think that would take a true miracle because of like, I mean, you know, the, what is it? Like, um, I, I have no idea what the name of the psychological effect is, but uh, you know, when there's uh, cults who think that a flying sorcerer is going to come down on like a specific date and take them all to the promised planet or whatever. And then um, the, that date came and went. And then it turned out that their faith in the flying sorcerer was actually intensified after its failure to appear like instead of disproving it like in order to survive the dissonance of being like oh god the last 10 years of my life have been a lie they'd be like nope 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 doubling down in fact we just misinterpreted the date or like that was a trick to test our faith now we're even more convinced because please god i cannot have wasted the last 10 years of my life that would be strong but if you've got every god of every pantheon on board, <laughs> there's nothing to stop them performing a miracle of that magnitude and just convincing everyone at a stroke. They wouldn't even need to commit suicide. They'd just be like, and now you're all convinced of my non-existence and I'm going to go and do something more interesting with my eternity. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but the idea that like, if they all, they all show up and they say, right, we're off. Seriously, we're never coming back. We're going to a different universe. You're a bit. Don't pants. follow us. Delete our numbers. Yeah, <laughs> you turn that off. Don't bother praying, or like you, you literally, you sit down, you pray, and there's like an answer phone message, like "I'm sorry, <laughs> God, can I take your call right now?" And you're like, "Oh, so it's literally like, hey, we had all this meaning and stuff in the world, and now it's all gone forever." The deity you've tried to reach is no longer concerned with your petty idiocies. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't think the doomsday preppers are ready for that. <laughs> and why not? <laughs> that is the most grandiose apocalypse scenario I can think of, actually. So I want to I wanna crank the dial right back down to the pettiest apocalypse I can think of. Oh yeah, of. petty it up. It's quite simply that um, bullets turn out to be toxic. <laughs> Or like metal, like you know, you know the way they used to have, use lead for water pipes uh-huh. for ages before they realised, or like mercury in cosmetics, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's crazy poisonous. Actually, we should not have done that. Turns out, all kinds of metals are like way more poisonous than we thought, and so all their tinned food is useless, and their water pipes, and their bullets, and it's just that's it. So what would they do? Uh, die <laughs> <laughs> in their droves. And, and everyone else is just fine, like. I mean, the, the thing is, people wouldn't even realise that they'd gone because they're so secluded and isolated. <laughs> that may be a good point, actually. Yeah, I don't know whether any of them take the um, the extra step of cutting themselves off from society prematurely just so that they're ready. Like, there's no shock to the system of like, oh, where's all my family and everything? They're just, they're, they're, they've already trained. Maybe that happens naturally because families just maybe you just yeah that's weird Uncle Bob we just don't really he just he doesn't he stopped coming to the reunions we don't really want him around at Christmas because he always brings his guns and you know yeah or like 
just natural things like that come with living in a bunker like they get really pale and then they, they you know they get sunstroke and die <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> they come out one day and it's just too much like what is this like yeah i like the idea that they would still they'd keep the guns anyway they'd be like well <laughs> i'm not giving this up come this far freedom <laughs> Yeah. Like, what about our second, <laughs> amendment, all these years? second amendment rights toxic metals hey you thought about that that was the hypotheticals podcast feel free to follow us on twitter at hypotheticals that's hypotheticals without the r follow me individually at rain tortoise that's rain like the weather phenomenon. And tortoise like the animal. And you can follow me at Mr. Howell. That's M-R-H-O-W-L. If you've enjoyed this, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Because it really helps. And we'll see you next time. Bye! started again i i thought they were making um jacket potatoes so i am confused Ooh, do you think there might be a dessert in the offing Are they dessert oh, maybe or well, maybe they're just whisking a jacket potato maybe <laughs> what, what would happen if you like uh made a deliciously creamy mashed potato and then like compacted it into a potato shape and baked it oh um i guess that's what is that what um Potato waffles are? I guess they are. Obviously not in a potato shape. Yeah, and if you breaded it, it would be like a tater tot or whatever, croquette. Okay, yeah, that's less interesting than I thought it was going to be. I thought (laughs) I'd come up with something good. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I remember that my grandma used to, um, she'd do jacket potatoes in that style where you cut them in half, Mm -hmm. and then you scoop out the potato from the skin. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you mix it with cheese, and then you put it back in. Mm Mm-hmm. And what? I've never done that. Too much effort, but very cool. (laughs) They were delicious. Okay, hang on. It might might have stopped. All right.